Hey friends, welcome to a new season of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. We took our little break, now we're back with a brand new fresh season. And like I explained um, on our last episode of the previous season, I don't have a big fancy theme for this one, believe it or not. I have some ideas of some really good guests and some really juicy topics, but they don't fit into a pretty little package. And I decided to not force them into a nice little package. So we are going as the spirit leads, and I think it's going to be good. But for our very first episode, I thought we would do something I haven't done in a while. We're going to do a little Ask Me Anything Q&A. Uh, so I went over to Instagram and gathered a whole bunch of questions from you guys. I saved a few of the really juicy ones for a dedicated episode, but I have a whole bunch of really awesome other ones. And so we're going to just work through these today, and I think it'll be fun. Um, thanks to everyone who submitted a question, by the way. So some of these are... Um, going to take a little bit longer to answer. Some of them will be quick. So we're just going to go rapid fire through the list. So I often do a little bit of a personal update at the beginning and end of each season. And let's see, what has changed since we last updated? I mean, life is pretty much kind of just progressing along. Um, we're pretty much done with the big book edit. So that is cause for celebration. Uh, Soda Fountains trucking right along. Thank you to everybody who stopped by this summer. I got to meet a bunch of you, and that was fabulous. Um, the garden's put to bed. I have some stuff growing in the greenhouse, just my winter crops. Um, but I'm pretty excited for the break with the outside garden this year because this past summer, like I explained on the last episode, was pretty intense. Um, and our other big update, which actually was one of the questions, but I'll just address it right now, is some of you have been asking about the charter school that Christian and I have been helping get started. Uh, I can't remember if I how much I talked about it on previous episodes. I've talked about it a little on social media, but in essence, our tiny little town was having some issues with the public school that's been there for quite some time. There was just questions of how it was going to be staffed and if it was going to stay open and just a lot of turmoil. It's been that way for decades. And so some friends of ours decided to take the bull by the horns and start the initiative towards opening a project-based charter school uh, in our little community to serve the, the children here and other children in the area. And so they started that this summer. They asked Christian to be on the board and I helped with the marketing. And there was this big question as to whether or not the state of Wyoming would approve this proposal. And lo and behold, they did. It was extremely exciting. They went before um, the top elected officials in the state and presented their proposal in front of the governor and everybody. And they said a resounding yes. So the charter school is moving forward. Um, it's a really big project, like real big. And, and I, it's not my school, right? I, I'm not spearheading this one. We have our other friends who are doing that. Like I said, Christian's on the board. He's involved. I'm just helping, helping with marketing and support behind the scenes because I have a lot of other things to work on. Um, but I'm very much a proponent of this and I'm very excited. I just know there's a lot of work to do. So that's where we're at with it. And if anybody listening has experience with starting charter schools or you have resources or ideas, I would love for you to send them my way um, because it's talk about like jumping out of the airplane and building the parachute. It's like a whole new adventure. And um, it's also interesting for me as someone who was homeschooled and I am homeschooling my own children just to see just a different side of public education. And it's just fascinating. So I'm excited for the model itself. It's project-based. If you're not familiar with that, there's lots of information on the internet about that, but it's just different than the traditional kind of industrial public school model. So I think there's a lot of potential. I think it's fantastic for rural communities and I'm excited, but that's where we're at with it. And 
I think it's going to consume more of our time as we move into 2023. But I'll keep you guys updated. Maybe we'll do a dedicated episode on it. I feel like I definitely don't have a lot to say about it at this point because I have not been involved in the um, beginnings as much as just being a cheerleader on the sidelines. But who knows? I, I might have more to say about the whole process as we go along because um, I think it's going to be a good, steep learning curve for us all. But it's exciting and it's good. And it's one of those big, scary, audacious dreams that I think is a good one to chase. So that's my personal updates for the time being. Um, let's get into the questions. Okay. So first question, how do you keep your daily immune system up? So, um, good question. I would say the two biggest things for me, I'll take supplements on occasion. I try to take vitamins. I'm not great at it. Um, when I've been exposed to something, I'll take extra vitamin D or extra vitamin C. But honestly, the biggest thing for me is sleep. And I have probably someone at least once a week comes up to me and they're like, I don't know how you get so much done. You must not sleep. And I'm like, no, actually I, I do sleep. And I'm a stickler about sleep. I do not burn the candle at both ends because the few times I have tried that I crashed and burned in a spectacular manner. So I go to bed pretty early. Um, the other night I thought I was actually getting sick and I went to bed at 7:30 PM, like a very, um, old person, but I'm not afraid to sleep and that I can feel a huge difference. As soon as my sleep gets low for whatever reason, I'm traveling or, you know, late nights happen, I get sick very quickly or I can feel myself being run down. And then my other trick with immune systems is keeping sugar at a minimum, which is easier said than done. I do have a sweet tooth. So uh, I know when I eat sugar, especially if I do drink a soda, like that concentrated corn syrup sugar, I am, I get sick so much more easily, especially if I've been exposed to someone who's sick and then I go have a Coke with lunch, which I don't have a lot, but I do every so often. I'm not ashamed to say that everything in moderation. Uh, if I do that sequence exposure Coke, I will come down with it almost immediately. So during cold and flu season, I'm really trying to mitigate the sugar I'm putting into my body. And there's some pretty interesting data and research about how it does lower our immune system. And I don't have all that, um, able to, in front of me to like spout off to you guys, but it's quite compelling. Also scary <laughs> if you like sugar, like I do. So anyway, those are my two big things. Like I said, I will add some supplements in, but I think the biggest is just taking care of my body with good sleep, good food, and little sugar when possible. Okay. Uh, next question, least favorite farm chore. I think I've been asked this before and I don't know how to answer it. Um, it kind of depends on the season, you know, <laughs> I like being in the garden, but when I'm really stressed out or overwhelmed, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, anyway, um, then I don't enjoy the garden. Uh, I, I actually enjoy the manual labor of cleaning pens, but when I'm trying to clean pens and I'm dealing with all these other deadlines at the same time, then I don't enjoy cleaning pens. So it kind of just depends on the situation. I would say that my least favorite chore in general is laundry. I am not a laundry queen. Some women are, I am not, never have been. I don't care. Like if I get the load transferred from the washer to the dryer within 48 hours, I think I'm doing pretty darn good. I do not iron. Like, I'm sorry. Ironing sheets is laughable to me. No offense to anyone who does that. If you do, and that's your jam, more power to you. I refuse to iron a sheet or a pillowcase. Uh, I will iron a shirt if I absolutely have to. And it, I will look like a rumpled idiot. If I don't, I will iron a shirt. Otherwise, no, thank you. So laundry would probably be my least favorite chore. I don't mind dishes. I have an easy time sh shutting my brain off and just enjoying the rhythm of dishes and cleaning the kitchen. So anyway, I don't know if that is helpful, but 
That's what I hate is laundry. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, this person said they want to homestead after college, which I think is awesome. And how can they help with that now as they're kind of going into this college stage of life? So I think from my perspective, the very best thing you can do if you're in this position is to stay out of debt. I know that can be easier said than done going into college. And I don't know your situation as far as, you know, if you've already got student loans or you're planning on getting student loans. I would just say if you can avoid student loans or other debt, car debt, house debt, at all costs, do that at this stage in life just to give yourself a leg up moving forward. Um, land is high right now. Homesteads are pricey. Big ones are pricey. Little ones are pricey. I expect the market to adjust. I don't know how much it will go down, though. So if you're looking at buying a homestead property in the future, you want to set your finances up in a way where you can afford to buy that property. And the best way to do that is to stay out of debt. So. There's lots of ways to get creative with that. We could do a whole episode. And I have done actually whole episodes on financial foundations and debt-free strategies. But that, for Christian and I, as young newlyweds, having no debt was a game changer for us. Um, and Christian, he did have it originally. So I don't want anyone to feel like shamed. If you have debt now, that's okay. You can you can change that. You're, you're not stuck. But he paid it all off before he got married. And then um, it just set us up. We didn't have a lot of money when we were young and newlywed, but we weren't trying to hustle to pay off the cars and the trucks and the toy payments, right? That made a really big difference in us getting into our homestead a little bit quicker. And then the other uh, aspect of that that I would consider is what skills can you start collecting during this phase of life? And I know you're going to be focused on college and homework, but can you start working on your kitchen skills? Like, I think the kitchen is the most brilliant place to start for anyone interested in a homestead lifestyle, because if you're a human, you're eating food. And that gives you three opportunities a day to become more aware of what you're eating, to play a role in how it's being prepared, to procure better quality ingredients. Like that's three times a day where you can practice. So even if you're in a college dormitory, that's going to be challenging, but you can still think about whole foods, think about going to the farmer's market, doing things like that, just to give yourself a leg up. Because once you do get your homestead someday, it really revolves around the food, growing food, raising food, preparing food, preserving food, and you're going to be so much more prepared when you get to that point. Okay, next question. Are you considering more business opportunities in your community? That's a great question. So right now we have the soda fountain. I think everybody's pretty well aware of that. Um, Christian and I are always open to possibility. I would never say I'm not open to more opportunity. We're always just keeping our feelers to the ground to kind of see what presents itself. At this exact moment in time, I don't have my sight set on one particular opportunity or anything like that. But I feel like just having that kind of open approach, like, hey, whatever comes my way, I'm willing to examine it and think about it and not be closed off to possibility. That attitude has served us very, very well in the past. So right now, I'd say Christian sites especially are on helping get this charter school off the ground, which isn't a business for us, obviously, but that's still a whole entity and a whole project. So that needs to be birthed first. But then after that, I could see us doing something else. I don't know what that would be. Maybe flipping another house or um, renovating another building on Main Street. I don't know. I'm open, but I don't have my uh, radar locked in on anything just yet. Okay, this is kind of a fun random one. Can you ever earn income by showing horses or barrel racing? Yes, you can. I don't really. I mean, I think I've won like total of $500 showing horses. And trust me, I've spent way more than that, like 
driving and paying for all the entry fees. So for me, horse showing is not a money-making venture. It is a pure hobby. Um, But a lot of people, not a lot, I should rephrase that, a number of people do make money, good money showing horses. It's the professionals. Um, And you can also make money barrel racing. I don't barrel race, but I think there's probably even more money in barrel races than there is in that type of horse showing I do. So it's a possibility, but you have to be pretty good and you need a competitive horse and all that costs money. So it's not like you're going to be, it's not, let's just say it's not a get rich quick scheme, but you know, got to figure out why you're doing it. For me, it's more mental health and happiness than anything. So that's why I do it. Okay. What do you do with your cover crop in the spring? So great question. We have, I think one or two episodes floating around on cover crops and also a blog post if you like to read information. But just to give you a little bit of a rundown, you have a couple options in the springtime. So just for the sake of bigger picture, most people plant cover crops in the fall. Like that's what I do. We overwinter them. They come back in the spring. You'll kind of green up or they'll just be left over. Depending on what you want to plant in that area, you could till up the cover crops or just dig them in with your shovel if you don't have a rototiller and then let the root mass and the organic matter decompose and let that be added into your soil. That's one option. Another option, which I have tried this and it worked surprisingly well, was I I did this for tomatoes. So I had a crop of winter rye in a bed, a raised bed. It was pretty thick, pretty impressive. It was very tall. And so I started by weed whacking it down, like scalped it. So I knew that it would kill the plant because I didn't want to be fighting the rye growth and the rye going to seed in the middle of tomatoes because that would be messy. So I chopped it down and then I left the stubble in the ground. So the root mass was still there and I left it for a couple days and it started to turn yellow, kind of like straw. And then I just took my shovel and I dug holes into the root mass and planted tomatoes right into those holes. And I really didn't think it would work. Quite honestly, I thought I had just sentenced my tomatoes to death, but it worked beautifully. I was shocked and amazed. And the tomatoes flourished there and the remaining root mass that was around those tomatoes kept the weeds suppressed. And I actually also took the the chopping, the chopped parts of the rye that I'd cut and I laid those over the top. So I had like a double layer of mulch and it decomposed over the summer and it was beautiful. And it it helped break up the clay soil that I had underneath. So that's another option. So you can either till it all in or you can chop it and plant in the midst. Um, Either of those are good options. Just give yourself enough time if you do till it or dig it that you can kind of let things break down a little bit. Okay, um, this question is, she asks, is there hope for people who aren't business or entrepreneurial minded and don't have a social media presence? Now, I wasn't quite sure. I didn't clarify with her what exactly she was meaning by hope. Like, is she wondering if there's hope for people to start a homestead or grow a homestead or have a business? So I'm just going to kind of answer this in a broad way. But yes, I, I do think there's hope for people. You don't have to be business minded or an entrepreneur to have a homestead. You do not have to have a social media presence to have a homestead. I know there's a lot of homesteaders on social media right now. When I started, there was like none. I could count me and five other people who were homestead bloggers or whatever you call it these days. Influencers. I really dislike that word, but you know what I mean? So you don't have to have any of that to have a really successful homestead. And you don't even have to have, I mean, if you want to create income from your homestead, you don't have to have a social media presence to do that. You can do lot, do that in lots of other ways, whether you're providing skills or services, you're selling farm goods, um, 
there's lots of ways to do that. Now, as far as not being business-minded, if you want to have a business, but you're not business-minded, I think everything is learnable. Um, I think everything is a muscle that you can exercise and you can stretch and it can become stronger. So if you just dislike business and entrepreneurship in general, then I, I would say, well, maybe, you know, why are you feeling the, the urge to start a business? Maybe that's not for you and that's okay. Um, but if you are feeling that urge, but you don't consider yourself having that propensity, you know, maybe reframe that story that you're telling yourself. Maybe you actually have more business acumen than you think. You've just been told maybe by your own mind or by others around you that that's not for you or that doesn't fit your personality. So um, it would, in that scenario, I'd say just re-examine the story that you're telling yourself and ask yourself, is this really true? Or is this just a belief that I've been handed over the years? So anyway, I hope that helps. Um, not knowing the exact frame of the question, but we covered a couple bases there. Hey friend, this episode is sponsored by Genuine Beef Company, which is actually us. It's our beef company. So a number of you have been asking us for a while about the possibility of free shipping. And it took us a while to figure it out because I'll be honest, shipping frozen meat is heavy. It is pricey at times, and it can be just complicated. You got dry ice, you got packaging. You want it to stay fresh all the way to the customer's doorstep. But we finally figured out a way we can offer you a really awesome bundle that not only gives you free shipping, but also free ground beef. So we're calling it the Steak Sizzler Special. And here's what you're going to get. I'm going to hold this up for those of you watching the video version of this podcast. If you're watching the audio version, then you're just going to have to use your imagination. But you're going to get four T-bone steaks. You're going to get two sirloin steaks. These are quite large, ridiculously large, and will fill an entire small frying pan. You're also going to get two of my personal favorite steak in the whole world, the tomahawk. These are like the caveman steak. They are beautiful plated. They are buttery and tender and really the ultimate holiday steak. They're excellent for gift giving. Every time I gift this to someone, I mean, I get the most amazing review afterwards. And you're going to get two pounds of our 9010 ground beef thrown in there for free as well. So this is our beef, guys. We don't do co-op beef. This isn't an aggregate. This isn't a big conglomeration. This is our beef. We raise it from the day those calves hit the ground to all the way to the day they're processed. They grow out on our Wyoming prairie. No corn, no grains, no antibiotics, no added hormones or steroids. It's as pure and as genuine as it gets. And we appreciate your support so very much. We have been shipping out orders steady every single Monday and Tuesday, thanks to you. And every single time we see an order come in, we all do a little celebration. So thank you guys. And if you want to grab the special before we run low on inventory, head on over to genuinebeefco.com. I'll drop that link in the show notes. Click on the banner at the top of the page and grab the steak sizzler special. Now back to our episode. Okay, next question. Um, what do you do for friends since you moved to the homestead? Are your closest friends long distance or local? This, I almost thought about doing this as a dedicated episode. Friends is a, is a tough topic for some, for homesteaders because we are more isolated generally, right? Some of us have the advantage of having lots of homestead minded people around us, but most of us don't. And also homesteading can be isolating just because you have so much to do, uh, at home, you know, you're gardening and you're cooking and you're keeping all the animals alive. And so I think this is something that idea of community can be a struggle. And I would say when I first started homesteading as a young mom, I didn't have any friends. Um, 
my the friends I had up to that point were college friends and we kind of all dispersed as college kids do. And then when I got here, I didn't really know very many people in the community. And I also wasn't very social. Like I just wasn't. So it was easy to complain. Oh, I don't have any friends. But when I was really honest with myself, I'm like, Jill, you're not ever leaving your house. How do you expect to find other humans you can converse with? So I think for me, the biggest step was putting myself out in the community and being willing to be vulnerable and creating those first steps. That went a long way uh, in building those local relationships. Right now, as it stands, we have a great little local friend group. Um, I have plenty of long distance friends that I've gotten to know in the homesteading sphere. And so I get inspiration from them, but we don't talk every day. And I don't talk to my local friends every day either. I think maybe this topic is hard for me to, to speak to because I'm not your typical woman when it comes to friendships. I don't know how else to say it. Um, just my personality, I'm pretty project focused and I'm not as relationally focused. I'm not saying that's a great thing, but it is just kind of how I'm wired. So I can go very long periods of time without having a ton of human contact. And I don't feel like I need that. I think other women potentially need more of that, or they need that girlfriend they can call every day or that person they can bounce ideas off of every day. I'm a little more of a hermit when it comes to that. So I'm maybe not the best person to speak to this topic, but I just want to give you reassurance that even if you're someone like me, we still need to have human connection. And I think that has been the biggest lesson as we have finally broached into our local community with the soda fountain and the charter school and all these other things we've been doing in the last three, four years, it has brought a lot more to my life than I thought it would. Maybe that sounds funny, but um, I underestimated how much even someone like me did need that human contact. And even though I don't talk to my friends every day and we don't have coffee every single morning, cause that just doesn't fit in my personality and really theirs either. Um, just having those connections has been invaluable. And even if you're a homesteader who lives millions of miles from civilization, it's worth it to cultivate that. Might not be with people who are exactly like you. You might not agree on everything, but that's okay. So I hope that answers that question. I feel like we could talk about friendships for a long time in community. Okay. Um, favorite podcasts. I had a couple people ask this. So surprisingly, or maybe not, I don't listen to any homesteading podcasts or any farming podcasts. I don't really read that many homesteading books either. I feel like I usually, if I'm going to read a book or listen to something, is in a completely different realm. So my podcasts I'll recommend to you are very eclectic and probably odd. Um, but here they are. So my, probably my favorite podcast that I've ever listened to is called Bema, B-E-M-A. It's by a guy named Marty Solomon. He was actually a pastor of my sister's church and he married my sister and my brother-in-law a couple years ago. And his podcast is incredible. I've never quite heard someone break down scripture like Marty does. And if you know anything about my story, which I've talked about it a little bit here and there, or maybe you've watched the Justin Rhodes documentary about um, our divergence, but I have a very um, difficult, challenging past when it comes to faith, religion, and church. And Marty and his podcast are one of the very, very few pastors or teachers who I can listen to and not get like a physical, like, blech response. And the way he handles scripture is it just, it's beautiful. It's inspiring. I've learned a ton. It's completely different than anything I've ever heard. It's out of the box. He makes you think. Um, if you're very much fundamental in your beliefs, 
it's going to challenge you. And I think that's a good thing, but it will make some people uncomfortable. But man, that podcast has made me so feel so much at peace with um, all of that faith-based stuff. So that's my number one favorite podcast. We actually, uh, different periods of the year, get together with our local friend group and have discussions around different episodes because it's really good. It's really meaty. My next podcast that I like to listen to, I don't listen to every single episode of any of these. I don't. Um, it's called Honestly by Barry Weiss. And I first started listening to her, I think in, it started in like 2020, because she is, ha, I'm going to get in trouble no matter how I say it, all of this. So I'm just going to say it. She's a little more left-leaning, right? But, and she was writing for the New York Times, but I find her intellectual honesty refreshing because she's willing to look at her points of view and ask questions. And I love people who ask questions and I love people who can sit with this side of the view and this side of the view and, and just think instead of just following party lines. And so what I love about Barry's podcast is she has all sorts of guests on guests. She disagrees with guests that, um, she agrees with, but then they have these great topic, uh, great conversations about all these semi-controversial, well, sometimes really controversial topics. And it's great. And I don't agree with everything, but I don't have to. And it is just refreshing in this world we live in where everybody is so darn siloed about everything. So I don't, like I said, I don't listen to every single episode, but I found it to be really good. And there's been some that were just absolutely fantastic. That's one. Um, I like the Jordan Peterson podcast. Don't listen to every single episode, but I think his guests um, are usually pretty interesting. I like the depth of those conversations, it stretches my brain. It's not fluffy. Usually it's like big words and psychology and um, science. And I just like to listen to that and just see how can I expand my thinking and my knowledge. Um, and then the other one, I do listen to Michaela Peterson's podcast, Jordan Peterson's daughter every once in a while as well. I think she's a really good interview. I like it when she has, I think it's called opposing views or opposing opinions where she has two people with opposite opinions on very polarizing modern topics. And she interviews them back to back. And I think it's awesome. So those are my favorites and really nothing to do with homesteading or farming, but that's what I listen to when I'm listening. Okay. Next question. We're, we're, we're jumping all over the place here. So here we go. Uh, have you ever had any luck amending Wyoming soil? Yes, I actually have. Um, I've amended our soil quite a bit over the years, primarily with compost, also mulch of various types, but it's responded well. And it's hard to talk about Wyoming soil in general terms, because I feel like it really differs depending on where you live. Even just our county, I have friends who are on rock, like giant rocks. They're digging rocks out constantly. And then I have other friends just a few miles away who are super sandy and I'm clay. So it totally depends on your area. So Wyoming soil is a pretty broad spectrum, but we have clay soil here, but it is prairie soil. And prairie soil is very fertile. I mean, this is what has grown grass for since the beginning of time. And with all of the large ruminants doing their thing. So our soil is fertile. Our native prairie ground is, it grows well. It just is a little clay ish. And so adding, um, organic matter and manures and mulches has done wonders. And honestly, just sometimes just tilling it up as is, it does pretty well. You may not have that situation. However, I know everyone's a little bit different. So you can always, um, if you're dealing with more nutrient 
deficit soils, you can add compost right off the bat or use raised beds, all sorts of, of things. But I think amending um, is probably possible for pretty much anybody out there, just depending on what type of soil you have. All right. Um, how do you stay connected with your family in another state? And then another question kind of segued into this. And then they said, do you ever have guilt about moving away? Um, really good question. I haven't talked about this publicly, but I do have all my family is still in Idaho, my sister and my parents. And I'm from North Idaho and I moved to Wyoming when I was 18. And I wouldn't say I have guilt because I knew I needed to do this. I knew that I was being called to move away when I was 18 and that calling has remained very strong. I know this is where I'm supposed to be. I know if I would have stayed in North Idaho, I would be a shell of who I am now. It was not where I was supposed to be. It's a beautiful place. I love going back to visit. Um, there are things I miss about it, but it was not for me. That being said, I, I miss my family. There are times I'm just sad. I wouldn't say guilty, not guilty, but I, I am sad that my kids don't have their grandparents in their life more. I'm sad that my sister, when she has kids someday, our kids will not be growing up side by side. We'd always kind of had that vision and it doesn't appear that that's happening because she's putting down roots up there. So, um, it's a challenge. Like I sometimes look at families around us who have everybody close and I'm jealous or I wish I had that. But again, I know that it wasn't, that wasn't meant to be my story, at least up till now. So I'm at peace with it. Although it still makes me sad sometimes. I still get homesick for the rolling hills um, and the trees and just my hometown. There was, there's something special about your hometown. So anyway, I know it's challenging and a lot of you are in that same position, but um, for me, I knew I had to chase those dreams and that was the right call. Okay. Do you have a microwave? Why or why not? This is controversial. I do have a microwave. I have a microwave. I am not ashamed of it. Do I love the microwave? No, I don't love it. It's not my favorite appliance, um, but I still have it. Primarily to heat leftovers. I don't cook with it. Like, I'm sorry, but those like tutorials about how to do your Thanksgiving turkey in the microwave are very disturbing to me. Do not do that, friends. Do not do that. Um, <laughs> but I still have a microwave for leftovers. Could I get a convection oven and heat leftovers up in that? Yes. Could I heat leftovers up in a cast iron skillet? Probably. Could I put them in my oven and foil? Yes. Have I done that yet? No. Why? I'm just mostly lazy <laughs> about it. I have said, however, when this microwave dies, I do not want to replace it, but we'll see what happens because... I may be able to live without it for most things. Christian and the kids use it as well. So anyway, it's not some, it's not a hill I really feel like dying on. So there's some things that I just, I'm more chill about than others perhaps. But that's my microwave spiel. I also have a dishwasher and a washing machine. FYI. Okay. Um, how do you handle going against the grain of family? Um, and then she was saying how it's kind of a struggle when your family doesn't approve of your homesteading. This is a great question, a great topic. Um, and I do talk about this in depth, more in depth on episode 123, if you want to go back and listen to that episode. So our family, Christian's family and my family, when we started homesteading, they weren't adamantly against it, but I think they all thought we were crazy. And I've, I've been fairly quiet about this over the years because so it's out of respect, but like, I think they would agree that it, they kind of thought we were nuts getting goats when I was pregnant, buying this tumble down old farm. Um, they're a lot more risk adverse than we are both sides. And Christian and I are, are not risk adverse. We like risk. We like adventure. 
We like flying by the seat of our pants. We like chaos. Both sides of our family could not be more opposite in those regards. So no one came to us necessarily and was like, no, you can't homestead. We're going to like reject you if you homestead. Nobody did that. But there was lots of those feelings of like, you're, you're getting a milk cow. Oh, okay. All right, honey. <laughs> like there was a lot of that. So, uh, anyway, they're all way more accepting of it now. I mean, I think when you stick with it for a while and also we've had success, right? Like we've been on TV and documentaries for our homesteading lifestyles. And then when not all that stuff have sort of started to happen, then everyone's like, Oh, Hey, this is cool. And I'm like, well, I thought it was cool before, but anyway, it's funny how that works. It's really funny. But the biggest thing I learned through all of that is if you're feeling called or pulled towards something, your gut is telling you, you got to do it regardless of what all the people around you think. And there's absolutely something to be said about getting wise counsel and talking to your parents and listening and, and not being, you know, overly obnoxious and so egotistical. We don't listen to good advice. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking when you know what's right for you and your family but you're letting all those opinions of all the people around you, whether family or friends or whatever else, influence you, that's a problem. That's when you get off track real fast. And that's when, you know, you fast forward five, 10 years down the road and you find yourself miserable and in a rut and stuck because you, you didn't listen to the intuition and you let society or culture or expectations or whatever family pull you down a path that wasn't meant for you. So I learned that we have to do what we're called to do regardless of what anybody else around us thinks. And I also learned to be my own cheerleader. I see too many people doing something and then being crushed when their friends or especially their family doesn't think it's the coolest thing ever. And I learned real quick, no one was going to be as excited for our wins as we were. And when I kept waiting for other people, friends, family, whoever, to get as excited as I was over a business um, benchmark or the new calf that was born or the first wheel of cheese. If I was putting all my stock in those reactions, I was disappointed every single time. So Christian and I learned that when we had a win that we were excited about, we celebrated it in our nuclear family among ourselves. Um, and I learned to be okay with that. And I, I don't look for that outside affirmation. If I happen to have someone um, be excited that oh, over something I'm excited about, that's great. It, it honestly, it doesn't happen that much, which sounds horrible. I mean, I have people like pat us on the head and go, oh, that's nice. That's nice. But no one is like, is pumped. Very few people are as pumped for us and what we're creating as we are, which I mean, that, that makes sense, right? People who have their own lives and their own things to do. So don't wait for the uh, applause. Don't look for someone to be your cheerleader, be your own cheerleader. And it works out. It works out, right? When, you, when you're doing the thing you know to do and you're following your gut, um, it's good. It's good no matter who has opinions in the peanut gallery. All right. Favorite part of your homestead journey? That's a hard question to answer because I feel like there's been so many stages. And like I was explaining in the last episode, you know, man, I've, I've really, I've grown up as a human in the homestead world. I've become a mom in the homestead world. I've grown as a wife and a mother and, and a businesswoman. Like it's just really been the stage for my, most of my adult life. We started homesteading when I was 23. So most of my adult life has been doing this and it started off so different than it is now. 
so there's many stages is what I'm trying to say. But um, I think the thread through all of those things, my favorite part is the hit of excitement I get when I learn something new. And that is my motivation. And that is what continues to pull me along through all these stages and all these projects and all this chaos and all these changes over the last 14 years. It's that charge of something new, um, which is harder to find after you've been doing this a while and you've tried so many new things. It's not as easy to find new things to learn, but it, you'll never run out, right? There's always new things to try. It was interesting. Um, the other day, my assistant, Kayla, you met her on a previous episode. She is living here in Wyoming and helping us. So we were doing some recipe testing uh, for a project we're going to launch after the beginning of the year. I'll tell you more about that later. But it's not, a, it's not an actual cookbook, just FYI. I'm still working on my other book. Um, but <laughs> just to give you a little preview here, she was making a tongue, a beef tongue in the kitchen. And she'd never cooked a tongue before, and I'd never cooked a tongue before. And through, we had to like read the books and get the tutorials and we were taking pictures and we were doing all this testing and we we're like, are we doing this right? I don't know. And we were, we were looking at textures and there were several times throughout the process, her and I were almost ready just to ditch it. And I literally was like almost ready to say, I don't think this is working. Just give it to the dogs. Right. But we kept at it and we kept working at it. And we finally got to the part where we skinned the tongue and we chopped it up and we fried it. And then her and I were like looking at it going, this looks kind of gross. Should we eat it? And we both agreed to try it. And we did. And it tasted incredible. Like so good. When I had, um, oh my gosh, the muscle maven. I can't remember her name. Ashley Van Houten. Remember her? She was on a previous episode of her and I were talking about eating awful and organ meats. Um, she said tongue was one of the best. And I started to doubt her as we were cooking this tongue. Cause I'm like, Ashley lied. It doesn't look good at all. I don't know how anyone's eating this, but then once we tasted it, I'm like, Oh, that's what she was talking about. So good on the flavor. So incredible. But anyway, I'm telling you this weird story because as Kayla and I, we ate the tongue and we were feeling so good and we were taking notes and so pumped. I was like, man, it's so cool to think that we use a different, a new part of the animal that we'd never used before. And she's like, yeah. And her and I were both like supercharged with like this excitement. And I'm like, it feels so good to add a skill. And she's like, it does. And I, we were talking about how she's been homesteading a, a long while. She's younger than I am, but she's still been doing this a while, been there, done that. And I've been there, done that. But even still that feeling of learning something new, how to cook a beef tongue gave us that hit of dopamine. And we were pumped. Like we felt on a high after figuring this little new thing out. And I think that is my favorite part of this journey. That's what keeps me going. Um, and like I said, it doesn't happen every day anymore because I've tried so many things, but I still love that feeling of that new accomplishment and that new skill. It's pretty awesome. Okay. Um, overwhelm. I had a bunch of questions about this one. Um, how do you handle overwhelm? So I have a couple podcast episodes dedicated to this. Um, one is season seven, episode seven, and then the other is episode 146. So I had a bunch of episodes before I broke into seasons. So that's like 146 or their seasons seven, episode seven. That goes into all the nitty gritty. But just to address this in a nutshell, um, I have, I'm definitely no stranger to overwhelm. I felt very overwhelmed this summer, in fact, this past summer, writing the book and hosting too many events and running a restaurant and having kids and activities. And I think, I mean, I did all of the strategies I talk about in those two episodes. I mapped it on this big, this is a big black 
black whiteboard here. If you can see it in the video, that's what that is. It's not a TV. It's a big board, and I write on it with dry erase markers. So I would map all the things out over and over on this board and break it down and outsource and delete and delegate. I did a lot of that. There was still elements of my summer. I just still felt overwhelmed. And so when I get to that point, I cut out the extra, and I let things slip, to be perfectly honest. Um, I didn't garden like a rock star this summer. I let my sourdough starter die a horrible death. I told you about that in the last episode. Um, I did not milk the cow this summer. I had to let some, something had to give. I had to let something slide. And my house wasn't super clean. And now that my book is nearing the end of edits, like I just started to catch up on cleaning. Like (laughs) the other day I washed my shower curtain. I realized how disgusting it was because I haven't touched it for months and months. I haven't even looked at it. And so I finally washed the shower curtain and I finally deep cleaned some cabinets, the stuff that I let slide this summer. And so that's really maybe not the greatest advice, but that's what I have to do when I get to that point of overwhelm. When you're maybe not in the the trenches of it and you're just teetering on the edge of wondering, what do I do with all these homestead things I want to do? I mean, my best advice for that type of overwhelm, the what do I do first type is just pick one thing, pick the thing you're most excited about put the others on the shelf and focus on that one thing until you're good at it, until you have it into a rhythm. And that's in essence what I've done with all the different moving pieces of my life. So many times people say, how do you do all the things you do? How do you homeschool? And how do you have the restaurant? How do you run the blog? I didn't start all those things at the same time. I had a period of my life where it was really blog focused. And then I got it running on the back burner and outsourced a bunch of it. And now it runs kind of in the background without much input from me. We had about a year and a half that I put every bit of my effort and sweat into the soda fountain just to survive and keep it open. Now we have a really great manager and a really great team and they're keeping things running. All of our renovations are done. I don't have to be there worrying about things as much as I was. So it's kind of running in the background. Same with the gardening and same with the homeschooling. There are periods of life where each of those take more focus. But for the most part, I get one thing solid and pretty self-sustaining before I add something else in. And I think that applies to all sorts of things in life, but especially your homestead projects. You cannot start the cow, the cheese, the garden, the chickens, the curing of the meats and the canning all in the same season and not want to like lose your mind. Pick one of those things, get good at the cheese making, get your cow milking in a rhythm. Then when that's going in the back burner or even taking a break, that's when you add the next thing. Hopefully that helps. Okay. Um, this kind of is along those same lines. When, when do you know to rest and when do you know to push? I would say for that, the best thing to do is just listen to your body. Like really listen to your body. It will tell you, um, there's that type of tired where I'm, I'm just kind of like, I think we talked about this with one of the neuroscientists who came on. We don't really have a lizard brain, but sometimes I still call it our lizard brain. It's like that part of our brain that's kind of lazy you know, those moments when your lizard brain's like, oh, I just want to sit on the couch and scroll Instagram. And I don't want to do all the things I want to do. I have to do. And I'm just like, I'm tired. You know, it's like that mental kind of fog where you're like, not wanting to do the hard thing. There's that type of tired, where you should get off the couch and probably push yourself. And as soon as you get outside, you're going to feel better. But then there's also the type of tired where your body and your bones are exhausted right? When your brain has been through the ringer that day, you've had a lot of things happen, you've solved a lot of problems, or you've been out working all day in the garden or doing something physical, and you're just physically exhausted. 
those are the times when I cut myself some slack and I will watch a show on Netflix or I will just go to bed early or I will read a book or, or chill and zone out, right? On those other times when my brain just needs kind of a kick in the pants, that's when I'm like, nope, you're going to go outside. I know you've had a long day, but you're more just being like mentally unmotivated and you still have the ability to, to go, do some more. So I can't give you the magic formula. You just have to listen to your body and kind of know and be honest with yourself. Am I just dialing it in right now or am I really just needing a break? Um, next question. What is your next book about? That is a good question. It took me a long time to be able to verbalize it in like a sentence. So here, I'm going to do my best here. The title is old fashioned on purpose, just like this podcast. And it's not a how to book. I mean, it has some tips and tutorials in it, but my premise of writing this is I'm looking at all the principles of the modern day homesteading movement. Right. And I can't help but notice they're really not about homesteading. It's really about what makes us human. So my goal in this book was to distill down the essence of homesteading, that trendy term, homesteading, and see how it applies to modern day culture and humans as a whole. And what I found as I started that distillation process, the themes that we know to be true, thanks to our homesteading endeavors, those themes run throughout history and science and psychology and human behavior. This is nothing new. You guys do that. It's nothing new, right? That's why it's called old fashioned on purpose. Um, but they have a lot more value than even I ever imagined. I mean, yeah, they make our home setting is fun and rewarding and wholesome, but these principles, these bigger principles that are driving this movement that are calling people back to the land and calling people back to themselves. Um, they have some really big ramifications for culture and society as a whole. And that's what we explore in the book. That was totally not a one sentence description, <laughs> but there you have it. So I'm excited for it. Um, feels like I'm an eternity till I'll get it on shelves. It's projected published date is October of 2023. Publishing is a long process, but um, there you have it. So more to come soon on that. Okay. I think this is my last question. Is the house you're in right now your forever home? Um, I don't know. If you'd asked me that five years ago, I would have said absolutely. I don't know. Like sometimes my gut, my intuition will kind of give me an idea. I kind of have this feeling of where things will end up. I, I, I don't have that for this question. I, I've asked myself it a lot. Um, I think at some point, Christian and I would like we would like an actual ranch. We have 67 acres on our homestead right now, which is wonderful. And I'm so thankful for it, but we've kind of outgrown that. I mean, we're leasing a lot of ground from our neighbor to run our beef herd for genuine beef. And that's wonderful. And we are so thankful to have that relationship, but it, in my heart of hearts, I want our own land to steward so badly. And I want our own land to preserve and to apply these regenerative techniques to, and to see the land and the grass respond. Um, and I, I, I just feel that so strongly. And usually when I feel something so strongly, that's a foreshadowing of something to come, but I don't know if that means we'll buy some land near us and stay living in this house forever. Or if that means we'll end up moving to a house on this land. I don't foresee us moving out of this community anytime soon because of the soda fountain and our connections here. And now the charter school, I love this community. I am just 
oddly, bizarrely very attached to it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what that means. I do know I have such a connection to our current homestead. Like, not to get woo-woo or weird. It's like a soul-level connection. I feel like it is a child. And I I expect if we're supposed to move someday, um, I'll be ready for that. And I will have started, like, letting go. But at this point, like, man, this piece of land and this house and this homestead and this grass and this property, it it's us. It is like the wingers. Um, it's been, it's gone with us on every part of our journey. It has grown with us. We've poured our blood, sweat, and tears here. So it's really hard for me to imagine leaving it, but maybe someday if I'm supposed to leave it, I know I will be, I'll be ready for that. So I don't know. That's a very not helpful answer to your question. I'm open to possibilities. Let's just leave it at that. Whew. So friends, that was a lot of good questions. Thank you. Hopefully, um, the answers were helpful in some way, shape or form. And I'm going to hit some of the questions I didn't answer on future episodes. So if you asked a question and you didn't hear it, odds are it will be coming in the future. So thank you so much for listening, friend. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming back for another season. Um, our numbers continue to rise, which is just humbling and wonderful. And I'm so thankful for you being here and listening to my ramblings. And thank you for the messages you send. And oh my gosh, people will say, I traveled across the country and I listened to you the whole time. And I, <laughs> I want to say, I'm so sorry. I hope I didn't, I hope my voice didn't get annoying. I mean, obviously, apparently they didn't because they kept listening, but I'm like, I'm sure I say the same words over and over and have weird little things. But anyway, thank you for being here. And thank you for sticking with me after all these years and all these episodes. And I'm excited for what's to come in the season. So stay tuned. And we'll catch you next time on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.